0: Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information to help you get past your blocks, move forward with courage, confidence and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, and on YouTube, as well as on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with your connections, and I hope you'll decide to join my courageous community. You can do that by becoming a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com slash fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you take consistent action to position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are, and ultimately to profit from your expertise, all while you build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. You know, as we go through our lives, we come face-to-face with loss and disappointments. Friends come and go, loved ones move to the next plane of existence. We have our heart broken. We don't get the job, promotion, or achieve other milestones that we believe we should have. And we collect other emotional wounds along the way. These emotional hits, the traumas of daily life, leave their marks on us. We try to move forward and deal with them in the way that we've been taught and inculturated to believe is the air quote right way to deal with them. But many of us have been taught that we must be tough and deal with these issues and the grief they bring on our own. We may even have been led to believe that grieving is somehow wrong. But grief is part of the normal processing of emotions. It's part of life. And it's human to need help to navigate the accumulated emotional traumas and process the grief we feel in order to move through the process effectively. As we build our independent business as a coach, consultant, freelance, or micro firm owner, unresolved grief can lead to difficulties in moving forward in business. And that's what today's episode is all about. Martina Meyer is a life and relationship coach who considers herself as a personal trainer for your mind, heart, and soul. She helps others live a wholehearted and wholesome life full of joy and passion by navigating life's transitions and healing unresolved grief. Whether you're mourning the loss of a relationship, a job, or some other major life change, Martina helps you move through the incredibly human experience of grieving. So listen in as she demystifies grief and grieving by revealing the myths associated with them, how following what we've been taught as children and through our conditioning keeps us from effectively moving forward. The real secret to being strong? The connection between job loss and grief, how isolation only makes grief worse, the difference between guilt and shame, and how those two emotions, guilt and shame, are involved in the grieving process. As always, listen all the way to the end, where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, so thanks for being with me, Martina. I'm so excited to have you.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Winnie.
0: You are welcome. So let's just dive right in. OK? Um, I want to talk about this big issue of grief, and as I shared with you when we were chatting, I love your whole perspective that grief is bigger than we really think about. I think that we all think about grief as the traditional a loss. Right, and but we tend to think of grief associated with a loss around the loss of a person, right, or you know even uh, I guess maybe a, even a big injury would be something that could lead to to grief, and I certainly dealt with that myself with my brain injury but let 's talk about that grief is it 's a pretty big issue right there 's a lot of stuff that we we have to deal with grief over
1: it is, and the way we look at it inside of the grief recovery method is that. Grief is, first of all, a natural and normal response to any type of loss. And grief is also the most misunderstood experience in our society because there is so much misinformation about it. So when you look at the uh, next definition of grief, that it is the conflicting feelings that come up at any kind of pattern change, a change in behavior, a change in life then it includes more than just death or the loss of a relationship, the loss of a house, the loss of a job, a pet. It also you know, applies to positive instances like pregnancy, for example, marriage. And those are some areas that get quite tricky because how do you tell your new husband that you're sad, that you don't get to see your girlfriends or that you're sad about the move when you're supposed to be happy and ready for this new phase in your life. And that's really where some of these unresolved or complex kinds of grief can start by just accumulating these, you know, non-resolved moments in life that are incomplete.
0: Yeah, that's, I think those are really great examples. And I didn't really think about that until you mentioned it. But really there's, I guess the whole transition of life is about making changes, making leaps these new phases that are in our lives and yeah that can can probably justifiably so lead to a mourning of what we once had you know you mentioned that um there's a lot of conflicting information out there and and maybe some myths even can you
1: talk a little bit about that yeah because grief is such a you know, mystified experience in our life, what happens a lot of times is that not only the griever doesn't know what to do with it because it's so uncomfortable and often devastating, right? And we don't know what it actually is. Some We lost something. We lost a relationship. We are so tired. We can't concentrate. We push down, push away the sadness and try to keep going with what we have to do because after death, there are so many decisions you have to make, right? And... Then what amplifies that is, is that the people around us often don't know what to do for us. They want to soothe our pain. They want to help. They don't know how. And they end up saying some very unhelpful things. And they're all based on the same myths. And some of the most common myths are grieve alone. And you'll see that and somebody might say, oh, just leave her alone. You know, Don't bother her. She'll just need some time. And uh, that can cause a lot of isolation in a situation where we're already feeling all alone with it, right? It seems that it happened just to us. Another myth is be strong. You have to be strong for your children now. You know, you can show them what you're going through. You need to continue in your job now. You need to be strong. You need to make these decisions. And it's not helpful at all. You know, it just exacerbates it.
0: I think that's a great great point that we perceive, you know, so much of it is the definition that we use, right, for these terms. So we perceive and refer to strength as being the tough person who gets plows through things and things like that, when in reality, I think you and I certainly know that strength is the ability to recognize that I'm about to reach my limit and i need help i was just uh, on a call actually before we, before you so i'm on um, my nerve my emotions are a little bit raw right now talking to a friend who's going through some challenges with her son in school and oh my gosh i think it's so painful to watch your child or someone mm-hmm. you love struggle i remember my brother was is younger than i am and watching him go through school was just so so painful and i think that we like i said we tend to get enculturated to believe strength is doing it yourself when in reality strength is recognizing and having the ability I think to say I need help dealing with this
1: yeah absolutely do
0: you think that do you think that we sometimes confuse depression with grief because a lot of the symptoms you mentioned sounded similar to me
1: yeah, and that's uh, that's another area that is the way we have been taught to cope with grief. Right? We don't ne- recognize it first of all that it is grief, and then uh, we are taught to be strong to you know replace it to keep busy, and so we stuff these things down, and we think that we are depressed. We uh, look for medication. We may look for medical help, and a lot of times grief, and especially prolonged griefs—you know, when it has been going on for a while and is not really recognizable as such anymore—is misdiagnosed a lot of times. So, this inability to concentrate might be labeled as ADHD. The you know the sadness that is there, that pervasive down, and the lack of energy and the sleepiness or inability to sleep, because it affects us all uniquely and differently might be diagnosed differently in the medical profession, especially when we don't dare to speak about it because, you know, this losing the dog shouldn't affect me the way it does. So how do I tell my doctor I can't sleep because of it, right? And it's been six months ago and I still can't sleep. So I don't no longer associate it with this loss and with the grief. So I go to the doctor and a whole other spiral starts. Yeah. And so we look in the grief recovery method where we go with this is first we tell people, you know, to look at and define grief. And a lot of people find a lot of relief just realizing, oh my God, this is normal. You know, the first reaction of being numb and then being sad and feeling somewhat depressed and not having energy, you know, going through the day and only accomplishing about a third of what I normally did. And so that there are, you know, within that context, the feelings that I have feel more normal and they're not so overwhelming. And then the second part that we look at is, is what have you been taught about how you're supposed to cope? Because we tend to resort to what we call short-term energy-relieving behaviors. It's a mouthful, I know. And the the acronym is STERB, S-T-E-R-B. And so what that is is an, it's an activity that I do, not because I enjoy it, but because I don't know how else to take the edge of that pain. So it might be sleeping a lot. It might be sleeping not at all and going out, not because I enjoy it, just I can't go home.:
0: It's right? distracting, right? It's yeah That distracting? Yeah, OK. Yeah.
1: It might be food, you know, it might mm-hmm. be that jar of ice cream because my boyfriend left me, you know, it might be that glass of wine. And some of these things, if not treated, if I don't recognize that they are actually correlating with grief can eventually lead to addictions, to spirals that just feed each other.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, so many of the folks in uh, the audience are what I refer to as corporate escapees, Mm-hmm. They're people who have either been tossed out, right, on, you know, throughout, through no fault of their own. They've, they've lost their job. They've been, been jettisoned out because of some kind of right-sizing or, you know, downsizing type of experience. Then there are pe- they've been bought, uh, tied up in uh, a merger, and they've mm-hmm. been, uh, you know, they're redundant, so they're, you know, they lose, And then there are those who found themselves unable to find another job or a comparable job, so they decided to go out on their own. And I know um, that there's a lot of emotional crap that goes on when you lose a job.
1: Yeah. And
0: so can you talk a little bit about that, how, how a, a job loss or that kind of major life transition can trigger grief and, and help people get stuck maybe in trying to recover from it?
1: Absolutely. It's no different than losing a major relationship. Okay. So when I look at those, the basic de- definitions of grief, number one, it's a normal and natural response to loss of any kind. Right? So losing a job, even retirement, you're losing your whole community, you're using your reference point, you're using your, losing your normal pattern of behavior. You know, as much as just getting dressed in the morning and going to work, new pattern, now I'm home. The next part, conflicting emotions. You know, I might be exhilarated that I have free time now for Netflix and to just sleep and take a vacation and not having that stress anymore. And at the same time, I might miss my coworkers and I might feel, you know, shame about not having a job. I might feel like a failure. I might make all kinds of meaning and it all gets a big mix up, you know, it might bring up some unresolved grief from when I was 13 and I didn't get that job as a paper girl, <laughs> right? <Yep>. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. All these things get reactivated right. because they're still there unresolved and it reminds us of that. Yeah. The other part of what grief is 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 that reaching out for someone one more time and they're no longer there or reaching out for someone just one more time, and they're still not there. If it was a less than ideal or toxic relationship, these feelings get activated. And with job loss, you know that can be the part too. You know that boss that was a pain, and the you know what? You know I'm reaching out, and you know I'm still trying to fix the past. And some of these things, the way they can get us stuck is, is because there's so much incompleteness that now I walk through the world guarded to prevent future heartbreak. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to happen again. And what happens is I walk down the road and the path of my future as a dimmed down version of me, not being able to actually fully express myself because I have this invisible baggage that I'm carrying around, this invisible armor around myself and my heart, so other people can't see me. And I might tend to isolate. And it might be very, very subtle. It might not be that I'm home all alone. It might be that I just get quiet when I'm out in social settings. It might be that I'm a little bit more turned inward and withdrawn and uh, just protective. And other people just notice that there's something different and that there's a different energy about me. And they, in turn, tend to not ask. Or when they ask, they might try to say something helpful, but it reinforces this belief about don't feel bad right yeah
0: yeah because I think people I think a natural tendency is to project onto somebody else what you really are telling yourself so they think they are being helpful I mean that you know that's what you have to remind yourself this person really genuinely does think they're being helpful but they are telling you things that yeah only only then make you feel worse because you're not able to, to to feel better sometimes, and I think what was what's really powerful for me about what you've said so far is also this issue. You know, for those of us, especially in in America, this is our jobs or our identity. It's really hard mm-hmm. to distinguish what we did versus who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you lose your job. With, and, and it could be totally voluntarily, but still, you you know, you're not there anymore. Who the heck am I? Yeah. And And I think that some people think that sounds strange, but you do really lose this sense of identity as you try to figure out this new identity and put that on and feel good about it. So, yeah, it's really, it's really painful. How do you then recognize that? your grief is, is normal or that you need help? How do you, how do you know that?
1: Well, first of all, you know, all grief is normal, Okay. right? And we all need help in an ideal world because you're absolutely right. We organize our identity around relationships and our job is a big part of that. So if we lose a major relationship, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, a parent, or a co-worker, or our whole community that's associated with that, that's traumatic. And there are studies that show that, that it, is, it triggers the same pain centers in your brain as a major injury or combat stress even. So it's real. So that physiological reaction is real. And help, actually, we need help. We are relational creatures. Our brains are relational, and our beliefs about ourselves are relational. We need other people to validate who we are. And that's actually a very healthy thing. I'm not talking about codependence or you know the downside of it, but just in a normal interaction, I need to be mirrored back that what I think about myself is actually true. And in the lack of that, I resort back to what I learned when I was two years old and the conclusions I made about the world, right? And that's those moments when I feel... Like, I'm going to be alone forever. I'm never going to find a job. I'm always a failure. I'm doomed. And I make all these references and project them to the future based on a past experience. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So the, import, so it's a, the biggest myth of all of those is that time will heal it. And so we sit and wait. And that's not true. It's actually action it's commitment, it's the investment in, okay, I've had enough of this. I am depressed and I have a choice. I can, and, you know, please, I do not want to take away from medication because if there is a clinical depression and it can correlate with grief, so so do not stop your medication just because you're now getting coaching, right? right? And at the same time, depression might be a reaction to what actually is accumulated unresolved grief. So yep. there are steps that in addition to taking the meditation, med- medication that you can take to find that new normal, to figure out what is incomplete and what are the steps that I can actually complete this conversation up to now. Okay. You may have noticed I didn't say closure because that's another big misconception and where a lot of fears might set in because if i tell you you need to find closure with this job that's scary because that might means i have to close the door forget about it and with it all the good memories all the experiences right. that i've built all the knowledge the relationships that i've built and that's not what we're aiming for same with the death you know the the fear sometimes says i don't want to go there because i don't want to lose all the good times Or if it was really bad, you know, I don't want to lose the reminder never to do this again, not to go there again, to create a relationship with the same kind of pain. So we're not looking for closure. We're looking actually for completeness. Okay. And completeness means that we deliver all the undelivered communication, all the things that we didn't say, the thank yous or the you hurt me when, or when you did this, it really hurt me. It means the apologies that have never been expressed, like, oh, my goodness, you know, I know I did this, and I never apologized, and now it's too late. It's also forgiveness, you know, you, I was really hurt when you did this, and now I forgive it just so I can be free, that I no longer have to carry the resentment.
0: Yeah, let's, let's dissect a little bit of that. Because you've mentioned a few things that I think really add to the complexity of grief. And one of them that I hear in those examples is shame. Yes. That, you know, I always think of of grief as know depending on what it is often for like if it's a death you know we're we're really sad that of what we've we've lost because the person is now gone right we can't mm-hmm. we don't have them to share our life anymore we don't have them to share our experiences anymore but there's also I, I think a shame component that can fall in here where woulda, shoulda, coulda, right, can can play a role. Can you talk a little bit about shame and its role in grief and health? how can somebody move past that?
1: Well, shame is really big also, you know, especially in job loss or divorce because there is this whole, you know, how do I talk about this and how do I talk about this correlated, you know, loss of identity that I'm experiencing. Yeah. And, you know, those are the things that I went through after my divorce. It's like, my goodness, you know, I'm supposed to be this independent woman and I have so many things going for me. Why do I feel so bad? Right. And you go down those rabbit holes of why, 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 and it's not helpful. And shame actually stunts our growth and our development. Right. And yeah. the way to step past that is, you know, again, in, the best thing is to seek help and relationships. Find a group of grievers, for example, and um, we can talk in a minute about the difference between a support group and an action-related group. There's a big, big difference because, you know, a support group can also reinforce some of that shame. You know, I've been in this group for a year. I still don't feel better. There's another layer of shame. What's wrong with me? Uh, And it feels heavy just thinking about
0: it. It does. Yeah, Yeah. it it feels heavy to even consider it at this point because I think there are so many trigger points there. And Mm -hmm. and shame is such a, oh my gosh, it's such a painful uh, emotion to bear. And I think especially for corporate people, it really does wear you down. I mean, I know that there are times when I've heard from people have lost their job. If I was, had been better, I must have done something. You know, why wasn't I kept there? I wasn't a a good person. I, if I'd been just, if I had done this more, better, Mm -hmm. I could have kept my job. It's my fault, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's also, uh, you know, that there's that whole abundance-minded kind of thinking that, I think can actually be injurious when well you must have done something to cr- right there's this thinking that we we yeah. created whatever we have so you you know well you must yes. have done this somehow talk about shame inducing mm-hmm. sometimes crap just happens to you yeah right it just does it's just we you know I heard a a great statement and I'll probably mangle this a little bit but uh, uh, this great quote that someone had said where we are, uh, you know, we're the lead player in the movie of our own lives, but we are supporting players in the movies of 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 other people. Yeah. And at work, I think that is so very true. And sometimes your supporting role got eliminated, and it didn't matter what you did or how well you did it, you're
1: out. It just happens. And yet we make it mean something about ourselves. Right. And we end up beating ourselves up right. and I think the other part that plays in is, is that there's a big confusion between shame and guilt Brene Brown talks about that a lot yeah and she talks around vulnerability where shame is a big big player in it
0: do you want to talk about that the, the difference between shame and guilt
1: yeah um, so guilt is defined and a lot of grievers actually resort to guilt they feel guilty about something. They feel guilty yeah. about not having said something, right. about not having done the right thing. And then especially when it comes to things like suicide, it's like, was this my fault? You know, Or right. like you mentioned with a job, was this my fault? Am I guilty of having done that? And so the big G word, as we call it, you know, the, the, the definition in the dictionary is that the guilt implies that you had the intent to harm. So the question that we ask the griever is, okay, so you lost your job. Did you do this? Did you do the things that you did with the intent to lose your job and to harm somebody? No. Well, then please don't add to the complexity of your grief the idea that you are guilty of something. Right. right? So that's, that's guilt. Sometimes guilt is actually a productive feeling. Right? If I actually did do somebody some harm, even right. you know, uh, by mistake or unconsciously, then there is an amends to be made, an apology to be said, an amends to be made, and I can do something about that. If I have a conscience, at times I will feel guilty, and that's a healthy feeling. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes unhealthy is when I carry it around like a big burden. Okay. Now, shame is actually not living up to my own or other people's standards. So this is something very intangible, right? And we live in a world that has a lot of shaming on the internet, you know, social media, bullying, some media in in itself a lot of times is very shaming. So it gets very, very confusing. And the only way out of that shame loop and out of that conflicting mess is by going through action steps, specific action steps, that restore the power, that empowered feeling that you actually can shape your experience again. Because until you can, you're stuck, right? If you are guilty or ashamed of that, you caused this yourself and you probably lost your faith in you know, whatever you name this greater field of life, a force and field of life, God, Allah, Mohammed, Source, Universe, there are many names for it that may or may not be the same idea, right? But spiritually, we get wounded in those moments. So where do we go with this? You know, if we're now at fault for what just has happened, how do we move forward? And that's a burden where we do need some help of other people, of our friends, our family, and ideally of somebody who can help us actually understand what just happened and take the right actions to recover.
0: And to process Yes, all of this, right? To process yeah. it. And yeah. Okay. Do you think that um, fear plays some role in all of this?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The fear of being rejected again, the fear that these feelings may never end, the fear that I will never find love again, that I will never find another job, the fear that it might actually be true that I'm doomed to be lonely in this world. Right, it's yeah. a lot of fears, and 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 interestingly, a lot on how we cope with fear is actually anger. So I personally believe that a lot of violence and anger, and a lot of the di- the division, you know, divisiveness in our country, is actually a symptom of unresolved grief and loneliness.
0: Yeah, that's a really that's interesting a point. point.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, really interesting point, and again, when you think about, you know, your definition that as you tr- make these transitions in your life, as life changes around us, the world changes around us, maybe we feel we don't have control, there, I can see where that would definitely yeah. lead to grief, and yes, that, that misplaced grief and misprocessed, I would think, why wouldn't it lead to anger, because you're... Yeah. You're angry that your life isn't the way it used to be, right? Yes. And that you don't have any control. Yeah, that makes yes. makes, makes total sense.
1: Yeah, and, and so what use- we do is, you know, help the griever to use that anger as a productive fuel for transformation. That fuel to get out of bed and actually do something. Take some action steps that are helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And that this conversation of what's wrong with me, that I'm still thinking about this and other people don't grieve like this. And I should be, you know, in face whatever of the five steps of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's process yet, right? Right? That yeah. There are all these labels still that we measure ourselves right. against. And then we compare like, why am I, you know, so down about my dog when my neighbor has lost a leg? That's so much worse. And it's not helpful. So we make it about ourselves. And what the reality is, we've been taught how to acquire things and accumulate things, but not how to let them go. And definitely not how to healthily cope with a loss. And so that's what we teach with the grief recovery method is what are the helpful steps? What are the misinformations, first of all, so that you can, you know, readjust your beliefs about what's happening and normalize this overwhelm of feelings What have you been taught about coping? What are you doing? And then we look at the losses throughout life to see, may there be a correlation even with illnesses and accidents? Because, you know, these grievances are so stressful that they actually make us prone to accidents more often because we don't have the same level of concentration. And again, this is normal. This does not add to the fault, shame, or guilt bank, right? Right. We're not causing these accidents. We're not, you know, we're just not all there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like and that. And I like things. that comment that we're not able to focus yeah appropriately so it is not that you invited it in that you brought right. it on yourself talk about adding to somebody's shame um it yeah your your mind is distracted as you try to process all of this and just like you shouldn't operate heavy machinery when you're using medication you probably shouldn't be operating a vehicle or or having machinery when you were really tied up in the throes of grief so i think that's yeah. a really great great point yeah can you, yeah. let's talk a little bit about this issue of getting help. How does somebody recognize that, you know, I thought I could do this on my own, but I, I really need help, and then how do I begin to, to know who to look for?
1: So that's a very good question. You know, a lot of people are a little bit reluctant to seek out a therapist, Right? Again, there is this shame con- component that makes it mean about something about me. Right. So we all need help with grief. We all need help. We need an additional perspective. Einstein said you cannot change a problem or solve a problem with the same mindset right. as the mindset that created the problem. So grief is, you know, the response to it, the part that we have power to. We need help to change that mindset and get those action steps. So where to find help? There are a lot of books around grief. There's a lot of information on the internet. Um, churches and spiritual centers often have groups that help. My personal, I'm, I'm biased because the grief recovery method is such an effective tool that I would guide people to the griefrecoverymethod.com website, where there's a very easy link where you can find uh, practitioners in your area. You can find support groups, grief recovery support groups, which are very different than regular support groups because we don't, we don't meet to regurgitate what happened. We meet to take action steps to move through it. It's a very different orientation. And, you know, a lot of grievers might think, well, I can't go there until I have the confidence and the courage to actually deal with it. And that's another mind trap, right, that keeps you stuck because the confidence and the courage comes as you're interacting with Mm -hmm. other people, as you're normalizing those feelings and find a competent person to guide you through that.
0: Okay, great, great great insight and information. So what do you think is really possible then for people once they have faced their grief?
1: Well, first of all, they're going through this one big grief, but they're also getting a holistic new view about what loss actually means in their lives. So what this process did for me personally is it redefined my relationship to loss and to grief in itself. It also helped me get the tools to prevent future grief from accumulating in my life. So what does that mean? (laughs) It means that I look at conversations differently. I look uh, at completion differently. So like when we are ending our conversation today, we're going to say goodbye to each other. We're going to ask each other, are there any questions that you still have? And when we hang up from this conversation, we most likely feel complete. And if not, we pick up the phone again and say, hey, Martina, I still have another question for you. And here it is, you know, you have a PS. Well, we can do the same thing with things that happened in the past. We can complete them, you know, we can solve them. We can get the tools to move them forward. Now, does that mean I'm never going to cry a tear about the death of my dad again? Absolutely not. You know, will it mean that I won't remember him fondly and sadly when something big happens or when the anniversary date comes around? No, it doesn't. But what it means is that I have a different relationship to this date. I know that I'm going to be tender around June 8th, which is the day that I heard about the death of my dad. So what it empowers me to do is I will not schedule any important appointments if I can, I might tell people, hey, I'm going to be a little emotional for the next couple of days because this is the anniversary of my dad's death and I tend to think of him. So if I'm a little absent-minded or quiet or I look mad or I look sad, it's not about you, it's about me. So there are some proactive tools that I now have to tell people what's going on with me so that I can prevent future incompletions to happen you know, because in the past, before knowing about those tools on that day, I may have just been quiet, tried to stay busy as normal. And I'd be sitting there like this. And you would think, what's wrong with her? You know, did I do something? She's looking so mean today. What did I do to her? Because we have a tendency to make everything about ourselves. Right. So that's how these things covertly and unconsciously can get perpetuated. And by knowing new tools, I now have a choice to do things differently in the future.
0: Yeah. That's powerful, and I think the big thing that I get out of that and out of listening to to you and especially what you just shared is this whole concept of compassion, right? Yeah. We can be so compassionate to other people, but we treat ourselves like crap most of the time. So being sensitive to the fact that we all do have these anniversaries, right, of these traumatic moments in our lives, and recognizing them, and and just cognitively making the decision, I'm going to schedule around that, I'm not going to make myself super busy, or you know what, I am going to make myself super busy, because maybe that soothes me, and helps me be productive, and, and get past it, but really taking the moment, to reflect on what's best for you and healthiest for you and then treating yourself with that same care and compassion that you would with your best friend because that's what we're supposed to be to each to ourselves right Mm. is really our our best friend
1: and then to to reach out instead of isolating because that is the biggest tendency that most of us have is to isolate in those moments And uh, those are actually also moments that open it up for a much deeper connection. Because when I just shared with you, I'm going to be a little tender. And if I'm looking sad, here's the reason. You know, I saw that in your face that you had compassion for me. So in that moment, it was a human moment. It was a moment where we connected. And so by narrating that inner experience of where I'm actually at, that I've just experienced a loss or that I'm just reminded of a loss, it makes me human it makes me vulnerable it makes me like you right and by doing so i give you permission to be human as well mm-hmm. and i actually give you permission to feel needed and be there for me right so yeah,
0: and it often strengthens the connection i think yes. that we have with each other i think that so many of us you know back to that i'm tough and i i'm not going to think about it i'm going to just say focused but in reality what we do want to know is that other person is human that that and that's part of what helps us to recognize that our grief is normal, right? Yeah. Other people grieve. I'm getting choked up even just thinking about it. So yeah, I think that's really, really very powerful.
1: Grief. Yeah. So, it's personal. It's personal to us it all. It is
0: personal. It really yeah. is. It is personal, and and but to have that validation that it's okay that that's what you're experiencing and you know, you're being really human today. That's and that's okay. So, it, t- Martina, tell us a little bit about what you do in your work, and then how folks can learn more about what you do and about about you.
1: Yes. Yeah, so. Um... I'm certified in the Grief Recovery Method, so I take people through a specific action program to go through the grief experience, and I do this in person, um, one-on-one or in groups, and I also do this online in a one-on-one setting, and that's the first step to clean up, you know, all the incompletenesses in your life, and then after that, I offer a couple other modalities that are specific geared towards heartbreak during a divorce or breakup and how do you not let this divorce or breakup define you like you uh, talked about earlier and how do I not let those overwhelming feelings devastate everything around me and the third step in the in the coaching experience is okay now that I've cleaned up all this pain and all the past in my life how do I open myself up to new love out there Right, And a lot of people do this by searching out there. So we make these lists of who we want to be for him or her and who they need to be. And that's how we search for soulmates. And we end up coming to the false conclusions again of oh, my goodness, I'm too old, too young, too tall, too slim, too fat, too whatever. And so this process also goes within by calling in all these pieces of the heart and all these pieces that we left somewhere along the way so that by the time we meet this new person and enter this new relationship consciously, we have something to offer.
0: Yeah. Wow. Really super powerful. So where can folks go if they want to learn more about you and your your methodology?
1: I have a website called martinahmeyer.com. And on each of the pages, you will find a little blue button at the bottom of the page that uh, enables you to schedule a discovery call with me or to schedule a 45-minute free consultation about grief.
0: Great. All right, super. And of course, we're going to have links to all of that in the show notes so you can just click on it and go right to Martina's site and learn more about her. And I would encourage you to do that because obviously her work is so powerful and grief will sneak up on you and you don't realize that you've been carrying these big bags around with you and holding yourself back. So thank you so much for being with us, Martina. It's been great sharing this information. I think it's really super important for people. So I appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you very much for having me here. Uh, you could see that this is very dear to my heart, this topic. Yeah.
0: I hope you found that helpful.
1: I know when I was in my
0: car accident, I had to process a lot of grief around the accident and the changes that it created in my life. And when I lost my job at the start of the Great Recession, I struggled with self-identity, and it triggered some unhealed issues around self-worth. So if you found this episode useful, please share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you've consumed it and be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on my YouTube channel. But when you subscribe at my website at winnieanderson.com slash fans, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding, position, and pre-sell yourself as the trusted advisor you are so you can profit from your expertise. All right, so your cocktail exercise. Otherwise known as a reflection exercise, no alcohol needs to be involved and don't drink and drive and don't overindulge. Okay, so this might trigger some pain and some unhealed wounds, so I'm going to give you a warning. Please recognize the need for and get help if this brings emotions to the surface. And If you feel that you're clinically depressed or are thinking about hurting yourself or others, please get help by dialing 911 or the emergency number in your country. This information in the show and in this episode in particular are not designed to take the place of help from a trained mental health professional. So please get the help you need and deserve. Okay, so back to your cocktail exercise. Like I said, that's otherwise a reflection exercise. No alcohol needs to be involved. Don't drink and drive and don't overindulge. So I want you to ask yourself, really reflect on these questions. Do you find it hard to think about anything other than your loss? Or do you find yourself triggered by, meaning that you're continually thinking about or emotions are coming up about, your loss by going through life? You see something that reminds you of the loss and brings up those emotions. Do close friends or family tell you that you're different? since the loss you experienced? Do you find yourself spending more and more time alone when that's not normally your nature? And is there some aspect of what you're experiencing that makes you wonder if you're normal? Do you tell yourself that you deserve what happened to you? Please reflect on all of those things. And now your action step. Get help. That's it. Get help. Start with a way that's comfortable for you. For me, I turned to my priest when I found myself struggling with dealing with the aftermath of and the emotions. I'm getting choked up now thinking about it. When I found myself struggling and dealing with my accident, I ended up having to get professional help, to be honest with you. And I worked through with a therapist to help me navigate that. Then I got stuck at another point when I realized I wasn't able to take the action I knew would move my business forward and would help me grow that business. Instead, I found myself caught in self-sabotage and procrastination, to name a couple. I realized then that old patterns of behavior that had developed as a result of my childhood abuse and as a result of my workplace abuse were no longer effective. Those patterns once helped me survive and even thrive in those environments, but on my own, they were the exact opposite of what I needed to do. I had to work with a therapist to face them and get past them. So your action step is to start tuning in to what you're telling yourself and what you're doing and to get the help you need, whether it's a book, a coach, a course, a group, something. Get the help you need to move forward and heal the wounds of the past. You deserve it. Find the right person who can help you. And if you're in crisis, remember, there's always someone available 24 hours a day to get help, to help you. Sorry, I get choked up just thinking about it. Remember, dial the emergency number in your country. In the United States, it's 911. Get help. And if you want help on your journey of becoming a courageous entrepreneur, and you'd like help to stay focused on completing your big projects, to come out of hiding, to take your business and yourself to the next level of success, then consider joining the Courageous Entrepreneur Club. The club is made of small groups of no more than 10 people each. And each person is a solo professional or entrepreneur, and they receive help. Coaching, accountability, and support from me as well as from each other as they move forward to achieve their goals. Group enrollment happens at specific times during the month. And if you want to learn more, go to winnieanderson.com slash join the club. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.